0: what's going on people welcome back to the build up the third episode in the third consecutive week we said we were going to keep it consistent and we are keeping it consistent for you guys i am joined by the usual suspect hassan and we have a few new people on the pod today we have uh max we you know him from Dropping 30 threads a week on players you have no idea about. Um we know him as Max from the Strepper Trends Group chat. How you doing, bro? I'm doing
1: good. I'm doing good.
0: Good to have you. And we have a very, very special guest. Um, uh, you know him as Muppeteers, um, the the best news aggregator, the best news source for um United uh transfer news, ownership news, everything about United. He's keyed into every source possible. James, how you doing, bro?
2: Pretty good. Thanks for having me
0: on today. Of course, of course. Really appreciate you coming on um and sharing a little bit of time with us, sharing some insight uh between you and Hassan. I mean, we we pretty much have we we have our ear to the streets now. We we got oh, yeah. every possible every got every possible uh <laughs> brain trust, every possible source uh combined into one pod, so I'm sure the the listeners will enjoy this. I kind of wanted to start off just asking you about, you know, A little bit about yourself I feel like people know you as Muppeteers they go to you for obviously a lot of United News but don't really know who you are as a person and kind of like your story so I don't know if you want to give a little
2: yeah for sure (laughs) it's always funny because when I started doing videos uh, going on podcasts or things like that the first time it was uh, obviously a complete surprise to most people being American um, that was uh, the first thing um, my dad's South African. And so I was raised with same thing. He's, you know, British South African. And so I was raised with, with football and Manchester United and all of that growing up. And, uh, so obviously a lot of times people wonder, or ask, you know, how, how do people get into that, you know, from, from the States and, you know, what's the history with it and all that. So I've been watching United whenever I could since, uh, since the nineties and, uh, So it's a, it's been a long road, but, you know, getting to this point of the Muppeteers, the news, all of that was kind of an accident. Um, I was just as a fan some years ago, just trying to keep up with what was happening, frustrated with the state of things. And uh, I found that it was really hard to understand what was really going on at Manchester United. Most of the times what was happening behind the scenes. And for some reason, that drew me to probably unhealthy, obsessive levels, uh, that I think a lot of people can relate to of reading transfer news and rumors and things like that. And, um, that took me down kind of a path of looking into, you know, ITKs and all the people who claim to have insider knowledge and these anonymous things. And it was all pretty funny. Um, and started kind of thinking, well, what if I take all these guys who are claiming to have info and put them in one place and take all of it together and try to put it out there and see what happens and, um, you know, give people a route to, to share this. And it kind of exploded from there because while when we started, there was, I mean, I, and I, I kid you not, 99.9% of the information that was shared was totally wrong. And that is something that I thought was also educational to people because they were so used to being kind of fooled by things that were out there that were not true, uh, to, to make it clear and to show people in a way that most of the information they were reading was wrong and to, to be very careful about who you listen to and who you understand, who you take information from. and, uh, and But doing, doing that, I found after, and I do mean sorting through hundreds of people. I found actually real sources, real information, people who had connections where where are they going to go to share this? And it was like, you know, you when you know something and you want to tell people about it, it, it's like a burning hole in your chest and you want to share it. You want to say it. but What do you do? You go on Twitter, you tweet about it. Nobody's going to believe you, you're not going to get any traction. Um, doesn't matter. It doesn't really, you know, relieve the urge. And at the same time, a lot of times you have to be careful you have that information. You don't want to, you know, share something or yeah. uh, give away an identity of somebody, you know? And so uh, it kind of took off from there and took on a life of its own and became what it is today after being a bit of a, of a crazy uh, hobby uh, more than anything. And, uh, and I, I, I've just enjoyed it. I mean, I, half the time, I don't know what I'm doing to be quite honest. If you want to take that from me personally, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a journalist. I, you know, I just, I just, wanted to talk to people and, and I just started talking to people and I started reaching out to people and ended up with having some uh, great sources, great lines. And and when this takeover thing happened, I mean, I, I cannot express how lucky I was that one of the people who I was connected to was an incredible source for the whole Ineo side of things. And um, so it's, it's been a lot of fun, but otherwise I'm just a, a normal person. I got, I have my own, you know, I have two. Well, I have two businesses. Have nothing to do with with sports in general, and uh, family. And that's just that's my life. And and this is this crazy thing that's that's built up on the side.
0: No, that's awesome. That's that was a lot of new information for me too, just on your backstory. So that was cool to hear. I think it's a really important thing that you're doing with this age of Twitter and yeah. everyone's just rushing to be first, right? Not rushing yeah. to be right. Yeah. No. Go ahead Oson.
3: Yeah, you get that um one of the first time I stumbled across my tears was when he released the Thiago files, the Thiago, files. <laughs>
2: the Thiago tapes.
3: Oh, they're they're nasty to read into. I don't know if you've read into them yet, but sort of he was nearly signed off, and then something like Joel didn't didn't mm. sign it off at the end. Oh, yeah. And yeah, you you did say about getting lucky. It's it's about it's just getting lucky. You just talk to different people, and some yep. will lend information to you and i think ck said about being right it's sort of something i've stumbled across in the last few weeks when i'm releasing information especially on the alvaro deal um every credible sort of journalist has said there is a buyback in that deal and there was intricacies that i released earlier across the 20 percent sell-on fee and there was some other stuff like you know the the actual transfer fee, the add-ons, and whether it's an option. And I was told there was no buyback, but every journalist since has said there is a buyback. So it's sort of stumbling across some information that sometimes you might be right, but people might not trust you on because mm-hmm. there's a different, yep. different word from the club, etc. Yeah,
2: Yeah, yeah. And just just to comment on that a little bit, that is one of the most interesting things about this is that... Um, very, very often, there's so much that goes on that's never reported. And when one person says it, people are like, well, I don't know, you know, uh, I don't know if that's true or not. And and obviously, you have to be careful with those things. But that was one of the most amazing things I found is that there's so much that isn't reported or so much that is reported that isn't really lining up with the truth. And, uh, and, and it's, but it's the narrative is what gets accepted. And, and, uh, and it happens, constantly on probably every single deal on every single transfer every single summer I mean there are there are dozens and I mean dozens of players United are and I'm sure this happens for other clubs too that United chase that they talk to that they make offers for that nobody ever hears a word about and uh, it's really interesting how that how that all happens and and the whole how it plays into the world of you know journalism and what people believe and don't because um, it's kind of like People wait for it, but just because something isn't confirmed by somebody else doesn't make it true. There's a lot that happens, uh, really, that doesn't make its way around at all.
0: Yeah, I feel like, especially with Manchester United, it's just, there's so, this is probably one of the hardest spaces to navigate as a, you know, ITK or wherever you want to call it, just because there's so much fluff and so much different drama going around. It's so hard to keep up with and so hard to identify people who actually know what they're talking about you said 99.9% of the the things that people say You you found to be false. I'm not sure that's changed too much. I think you probably are the probably the 0.01 percent. But speaking of takeover, um, I realize that we have a bit of an American takeover on the on the pod this week. Got three Americans, and Son is is the lone the lone UK. Um, So it's it's good to see. I kind of want to get Max in here um, because he's been very keyed in on the takeover, writing a bunch of threads um, about. Jean Claude Blanc and and everything about Enios. Make sure you guys check those out. Um, at the the Art of Seven on Twitter. But Max, how are you feeling about the takeover? I guess we can just get into the to the meat of the episode. Um, with that.
1: I mean, yeah, I've been like, I've been really like excited over just the prospect of the whole thing. I think from the beginning, I've always like been kind of keyed in on like having Enios as owners because. I watch a lot of Liga, and I think that what they were doing at Nice and the signings they made in Cafuentsurom or uh, Jean Claude Tadebo, those were like signings that I really liked and stuff that I really just wanted to see at United. And when the first like initial links of like Sir Jim Ratcliffe were coming in for us, I was a little bit more positive than most at first, and then I started to get into like the backgrounds of Ineos as a whole, and you know. Brailsford and um, Jean-Claude Blanc and I just I just really like the vision of it and obviously the Jean-Claude Blanc he's a part of a board now I don't think he's the CEO per se but I think just like having him um, Brailsford and just having like an identity and like just the whole vibe of the club is so much better now because of them and I think that it's really going to the right direction I think like a lot of people have been saying like even employees right now are saying, like, for the first time in a while, like, the ambition is just not top four. It's like, we're trying to actually be the best in, of the, in the business. We're trying to, like, actually be the United of old, the United that, you know, we all grew up on. And, you know, that's just an amazing feeling, to be honest. And with Jean-Claude Blanc, with his experience at UVA and PSG, I'm, I just can't really wait, to be honest. Um especially at PSG I think just as a commercial like behemoth that is and that we recognize it, it is because of him and to have him as part of our board is kind of like it's exciting because you know United is arguably the most reputable sports brand in football to be honest and to be able to have someone who's able to capitalize that on that is just like it's on un, it's unheard of because we'd never even looked at it at it like that before so I'd say it's like really, really interesting. It's really, really exciting. And I just really can't wait until like the ramification comes in and hopefully the next two weeks or so.
0: Have you heard that as well, James? Kind of like the, I guess the good vibe around the club from employees and, and kind of, I don't know, maybe the relief of just having uh, a new, new um, energy in the building?
2: For sure, I mean it, it's difference. It, it, it depends on who you talk to. Is, is funny about it because I I actually I totally agree with that. That there's a, you know, the biggest thing that's come through with regards to anyo so far is their focus on winning. You know, it's it's all about the football priorities, and and that's something that's been the biggest challenge for a long time. Is that the priority has not been to be the best, the absolute best. There's a limitation to it, and there's uh, there's always been like, we'll take it this far, but we're not willing to take it as far as it takes to be the best. and And that's what United should be. You know, they should be always competing with, you know, the top level Real Madrid, not viewed as a second class to club like that. Um, it shouldn't be. That being said. At the same time, in the accomplishment of that, the word that I heard many, many times and that some people started to say, as well as ruthless, and that's what it takes to get there. And that does scare some people at the club, but if I'm being quite honest, it scares the right people. If you're worried about whether a ruthless, you know, high performance, ambitious attitude is problematic for you and your position then maybe you're not the right person to be in that position at this club. And, and I think that in that respect, you get a little bit of a mixed bag. I think there's a lot of people on the football side of it. And I'm talking, you know, when I'm talking scouts, analysts, coaches, players that are very excited by it because they see the potential and they're people who want that. And they feel that in many instances, they've been held back. I think the higher up you go, uh, the more nervous people are about the whole thing, funnily enough. And so, uh, it's, it makes for an interesting conundrum in that. And, uh, but, but I, I totally agree with, with, with Max is the type of thing that I've tried to share a lot from the beginning with regards to Ineos is that their, their drive, their motivation is pure football and, and they have really intelligent and really good and successful people involved. And, uh, and so I, th- I think there's a lot to be positive about with this.
0: Hundred percent. I think, as you said, that that that's the biggest thing for me. It's just pure football. Like, the the commercial success will always be there because we're Manchester United. It will only grow with success on the pitch. And. You can tell even with Brailsford, um, I know Max has done a lot of research on Brailsford as well, and just his uh, his whole philosophy of marginal gains I think is really good, for, especially for a club like Manchester United where everything can seem so grandiose and so big, and so oh, just getting back to the top of European football, it seems like such a behemoth of a task, but just improving everything but little by little, little by 1%, um, I think is really important and so i'm definitely excited as well um for this new i guess you can say era when can we kind of i guess I, i'm still wondering when can we expect this thing to be like fully done and sealed i know we had the big sec filing this week and you know in typical united fashion the fan base was questioning the legitimacy of an sec <laughs> filing uh, i promise guys if this isn't <laughs> glazer spin Glazers cannot spin a uh, a federal SEC document, but um, when can we kind of expect? I guess yeah, things to be done and sealed, and Nios to be fully in charge.
2: Yeah, well, I think uh, Sir Jim said to um, the fan group that it would be sometime, you know, early to mid February. So I think we're looking at two to three more weeks, most likely, for it to get done. Uh, you know, the approval is just is is a. Uh, through the Premier League now. That's what's needed. That's where it's uh, really the only thing. Everything else is, is ready and, and done. And it's a funny situation because it's sort of one of those odd ones, like it's obviously happening, but he can't do anything right now. But he also can. I mean, per the, the legal documentation and all of that, even in this interim period, obviously, anything that they want to do football-wise has to be run by them. Uh, any different decisions, anything like that. They've been giving advisement for some time. I mean, all the way back in, I think it was October, I heard maybe maybe it was October that I was given this, that, you know, Jim Ratcliffe, Blanc, a few of the other people head of Sport uh, and Brailsford were all meeting with Joel Glazer in his office in Washington, D.C., in person. And I know for sure that this happened, And this was not the legal guys. These are the sports guys. These are the guys who are strategizing and working out the plan. And it's interesting because you take part of it is that they, you know, they submitted that transfer plan. This, this is this thing that they have to follow in the interim. And I believe that that was probably put together alongside INEOS. Cause when you look at what's happened in January so far, it's a little different than what you might usually expect from, from the Glazers There's a a lot of players going out on loan, a lot of options, a lot of sales, a lot of money being raised. Um, I'm quite positive. We're already seeing that kind of influence, but, but two to three weeks, two to three weeks till, till we can really kind of kick it off, I guess. And it gets official.
0: That's great. I think the sooner, the better, obviously, but you know, we've been, we've just been waiting so long. All Manchester United fans have been waiting so long for some sort of movement with this um took almost a year or a little bit more than a year i think it was november 2022 that the united put out that statement and then christmas eve we got the kind of official notice that it was sir jim who who won the bid and um yeah it's just been it's been good to have just new fresh faces that are seemingly very serious about footballing operations at the club. Um but I kind of want to get Max back in here. I know he had some kind of questions um, that he wanted to to pick your brain about. Sure. Ahead,
1: Max. Uh, yeah, so my thing with um, one of the biggest things I have in terms of like what I'd like to see is the idea of having sister clubs in Nice and Lausanne Sport. Um, yep. And one of the things that just came out recently was about Simon Pafundi, who's a player from Udinese and he's just signed with or is on the verge of signing with um, Lawson Sport. and that's, that's one of the clubs owned by Sir James Radcliffe. And I was wondering what would be the planned out structure with those clubs and would it be similar to something like Citigroup or is they trying to be are they trying to make it their own thing and trying to do something a little bit different?
2: Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, and and certainly that, that example is really good. I, I got a message from somebody in Sweden, uh, sorry, Switzerland this morning, who was mentioning how how kind of odd that that deal looks like, because he says that, you know, they've never spent more than two and a half million on a single player. And this player's got a 10 million buy options. So you're talking about, you know, someone for four times their max transfer they've ever spent on a 17 year old and they've got, they're in a relegation fight and they have a a few other matters and things like that. Um, And, and of course this, this player also agreeing, you know, a buy option at this, at this small Swiss team. So it is an interesting indication of perhaps one of the routes that could be taken where, you know, you get, you know, where, uh, where they could become not necessarily, I don't, you know, the word feeder club, maybe not, but, a club where they could trial some of these younger talents with with options, with things like that. Um, But that could still then result in success. I mean, if they buy a player like that for 10 and he gets sold to United for 25, 30, you know, and United get a good deal and the club makes profit, then everybody wins. Originally, I was told that they would like to, they would very much like to, in the end, have something set up, especially where they can bring in talents from South America Uh, who may struggle with things like work permits and all that going directly to the UK, um, but form some kind of relationship with a club, either in, you know, Spain or Portugal or elsewhere, where they can more easily bring in, you know, some of these players from that United never really get right that that are often going to you know, to, uh, Real to clubs like yeah, to Madrid, Barcelona, even Chelsea, you know, like City. They, there's a lot of clubs that have done well doing this, but yeah, that mostly go to Madrid and Barcelona in the end. And I think that they have a, a good idea of, of that. Uh, and it's something they want to do. I think that's a obviously a more complex project, even in how it's set up and how it's said and how it's structured uh, to not have conflicts. But they certainly, I think it was way back early in February last year, last year yeah um before you know they won or anything like that i was told that it was something in their long-term vision to accomplish that they think is a necessary part of you know moving forward in modern football is having those relationships to be a top club and i don't think it'll be nice uh that's one thing you know i think that some people have you probably agree with me on this one max but that's one thing a lot of people have talked about is um you know just picking off all the best talents through there but i don't think that's I don't think that's possible with Nice. I don't think that's something that would be accepted by the fan base. And I'm not sure that's the intention for that club. Um, Mm. I think that they could be better than that, I guess. I'm not saying that you wouldn't necessarily see at any time, any players move on from Nice to United, but I think that they do want Nice to be a successful club at the end of the day. Uh, I think that's something that they want success for that club on its own it's kind of running without their influence at this point, they've appointed good people. And, um, and so I don't think it'll be nice being like this feeder club where you see like Toribo and Taram and like multiple other players coming uh, from Nice to United. It's just something I've been mentioned to me that not to necessarily expect uh, that they do want to be careful of that. They don't want to disrespect the area. Uh, You know, any have a lot of, a lot of, uh, what was the word for it, presence in France, and I don't think they want to sour the relationships that they have there either.
1: I mean, yeah, that makes sense considering like Nice have a pretty, it, it's a sizable fan base, and I don't yeah. think like making them like a feeder club would be, yeah, it wouldn't sit right with a lot of people, I guess.
2: Yep, yep. Exactly.
0: Yeah, it was interesting how <clears throat> we the, we were very very linked to to Todibo like in the in the summer window, and then this window when uh, Sir Jim and everyone is coming in, those links have sort of disappeared a bit. Um, I don't think that's a, a coincidence at all. I guess we can kind of move into links and, and transfers and everyone's favorite favorite thing to get into. January is looking quiet. Um, mm-hmm. Doesn't seem like there's a whole bunch going on. Um, Hassan can add his, his influence in here too as well. Just kind of their... I guess, Enios's idea um, in terms of players that they would want to bring in, profiles that they want to bring in, positions, all that good stuff, even if it's not in January, just going forward.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, I could could start with that a little bit. My my understanding of the plan overall in in general was that January was certainly going to be a bit more of a clear-out window. The money's not there. There's two other major problems, which is that, Any major, you know, anybody they sign, they don't want to do anything that's going to affect the future, basically. Like, they don't want to do something where it's going to be, we don't want this player come summer and we're doing it, just try to salvage the season. They would really only want to make a move for major targets that they really want, that they're sure of in the long term. And uh, a lot of those players are just not available in January right now. And then in addition to that, you have a, you have a problem on, on, on one thing that's a little bit of a tricky topic. And it's a topic that is challenging even with some of the players in the current squad right now, like Rafael Varane and others but who are trying to balance their future, which is the manager situation and the direction of the football club moving forward. And this is a problem for January recruitment. You, it's, it's difficult to go talk to people and say, who are you recruiting for? What plan are you recruiting for? We don't have our directors of football in yet to sit and talk to them, you know, Paul Mitchell or an Ashworth or somebody like that to sit down and say, regardless of manager, this is what we're going to do. What if the manager changes come summer? Well, those are the things that agents and players are going to want to know as a part of the recruiting process. And so even for summer, they're going to need to make decisions on that come March so that they can start those conversations, which they do intend to. So that's kind of the, the overall Gist of it, but otherwise, you know, they want multiple center backs. It's an area that their big overhaul is expected and planned for, with a lot of departures and hopefully uh, arrivals. Um, and and we can get into the names in, in a bit. They're, they're ones we've talked about on on Twitter. I think people kind of know what they are at this point in time. Um, but then in the midfield too, big concerns there. And uh, and then up up front, I know they are looking at. And uh, assessing the the market for wingers, with you know Anthony not being a, a success uh, at all in that respect, and and observing different options there. So it's going to be there's a lot that they want to chase down, and and you know right now they're just focused on what's the most amount of money we can raise, and space we can clear, and and flexibility we can have for for the for the windows moving forward.
3: Yeah, um, I think the midfield options will be interesting come the summer because it looks like we're going to have you did say we want two new midfielders but I think uh, to my understanding there will be movement with uh, well McTominay, he wants a Mm. new deal, he wants incentives to sort of start, he wants a wage rise and otherwise he'll be looking for clubs so I think the definite midfielders that would probably stay are Bruno Menu, and of course and Mount, maybe, and the rest just don't look nailed on to stay. You can't definitely say that they'll be in the squad next season, so yeah, it's looking difficult in the midfield department because it just does look like we'll have a new look midfield and especially with the defense next next come summer,
0: yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think everyone's focused on you know who we're we gonna who we're we gonna buy. I'm looking at how are we gonna be able to offload all of this dead weight that we've had for seemingly <laughs> years and years now. Um it's one thing that Manchester United has have been so poor at is selling players and you look at the likes of like a Chelsea, you know, even though they're um you know the recruitment hasn't been amazing in terms of like splashing money, they're able to offload players like it's nothing. I mean, that that Kai Havertz 65 million is looking like Harry Houdini at this point, pulled the rug over Arteta, but it's just yeah it'll be interesting to see in the summer um how many of these players we can offload. You look at a Casemiro making 350k a week. Um obviously the Sancho situation, Scott McTominay, um you know even like Harry Maguire, what is he going to do in the summer? So I think as important as buying players is selling them and as James said kind of raising the funds to go out and buy the players that that you want. Um but it it everything's just going to be so interesting. I assume they're just going to have like this opening period is just going to be like an evaluation of sorts of everything at the club, both players and especially the manager. Um and I don't know, I think from what you have said James, um there's not a specific plan right now as to, like right when they come in Ten Hog is, you know, under immediate he's on the hot seat immediately, but they are going to evaluate everything in terms of 10 hog is that is that correct
2: yeah i mean the thing about it is they really did not want to change managers mid they really didn't and it's it's you know obviously they haven't been able to wouldn't have been in a position to do so you come into february when they come in they've already been looking at potential options contingency plans since since last year i mean they, they've they been looking at it because you always have to look at those things you have the problem of results they also, have the problem of just in general, what is their philosophy for who the manager is, what they do, what they want, how they play, and does it line up with the person who's there presently? And there's disagreements with regards to that in terms of the role of the manager, the scope of their responsibilities and duties. So, um, there's a lot of reasons obvious reasons they've been looking at uh, potential options for a manager if they want to make a change, but they still rather not, you know, make a change during the season. And, uh, you know, in addition to that, uh, that being said, though, when you start getting into March, they have to make decisions on that. And once the directors are in place, directors of football, sporting directors, whatever they end up doing with that and appointing, then I think that decision will be made one way or another for what's going to be happening next season. And they'll be, uh, you know, making the plans on that. And, and, and a lot of this is, is, you know, going to have to happen pretty quick from their side too, because, you know, summer, summer doesn't start in June. And when you get a start on summer in June, you get behind you're months behind, uh, you need to start way earlier. And, and they know that they're aware of that. And, um, and I think that's some of the point of timing is like, it's crazy, but even the deal being agreed by, by December uh, and Christmas and that deadline that Jim Ratcliffe gave in the sec filing is because he's only going to get in mid February. They need to make appointments. They need to start. They've got a month to really make appointments to start and to start actually talking to players and agents and, and making the moves, including with regards to the manager. If this had been approved in February, you're looking at summer where they're starting months, months behind the game. So yeah, they're going to be looking at that. That is a top priority is resolving that situation so that come March or that around that time, it's known and it can be said, okay, this is what's going to be happening next season uh, and start making their moves, coach, players, all of it. So it's a, it's, a, it's a tricky thing. I think it's going to take a lot, honestly, for Ten Hag to, to stay in a, in a job next year based on results and based on, as well, these other disagreements. I mean, it's not impossible, but it would take a lot. And and as of now, I haven't seen much indication of, uh, you know, of that interview, as I like to call it, during this period going well. I, I think it's going pretty poorly.
0: Mm, that's that's very interesting. I think, I mean, you can't look at, you know, the performances on the pitch and say this, this guy is – you know, the future of Manchester United, obviously last season was last season, but this season has not been, you know, there, we have to have signs of, of progress and signs of something to believe in on the pitch. And there hasn't been much of that. Um, I think it's interesting you talk about, you know, the first position that you brought up was was center backs and not just a center back, but multiple center backs. Um, obviously, the likes of Jared Braithwaite. I know Max is a big fan of Lenny Yoro. Yeah. Um, um. Those those have kind of been. Max would, would would Euro be your your number one kind of option there?
1: Um. I'm big on Braithwaite and Euro. Um. I think Euro is like really really like high. I think he has like one of the highest ceilings, like possibly for any center back in world football. Even not even just like some of the guys that are like talking about. Let's say. Uh, Saliba like he has a very high ceiling but he's obviously not there right now but if any us and I've heard any are good fans of like big fans of him from like reports and stuff and that excites me um Brent the same I really like his two-footedness and just like I mean him at Everton right now is like a man on fire like he him and Tarkovsky are like carrying that defense and I think Just bringing those two guys would be awesome. I'm also a fan of Belleri from uh, Marseille, and it's kind of funny because his story kind of reminds me of like Harry Maguire. Because he last this time last year he wasn't in the best of form, and like a lot of Marseille fans were like on him to the point where people were sending him death threats and everything. Like it was that bad, and now he's arguably one of the best um, league on center backs. On form, he and I just really like his aggression. He's Argentinian, and you know, having two Argentines as center back would be kind of funny. But uh, no, I'm I'm really like big fans of your own, uh Breakway too. But I mean, when it comes to like those two and just other names as center backs, James, I wanted to ask: like, is there? like what is the idea behind, um, the center back issue and just like, how do they envision that within like the scope of if they were to bring in a new manager or whatever?
2: Yeah, it's a good question. And, and I honestly don't know the total answer to that because obviously different managers, this is one, I, I, there's, there's a lot of areas where, where you have different philosophies on managers and the center backs is definitely one of them, like how they play, how they set up, you know, uh, down to the fact that there's a lot of high-rated managers out there right now who are big three-at-the-back guys, right? And yeah. how you set up the the center back situation can change a lot depending on the manager and what you need. My understanding of it is they want three top center backs. And obviously that could be, oh, is that a three at the back? Or is that, you know, you just want three because you want to have always that redundancy and rotation and things Did you like, say like three? that in there. Yeah, three top center backs. Wow. Um, considering if Lissandro Martinez returns with good health and is back to his prior level, that he would be one of them. Um, so essentially, they'd like to bring two more in. And the the expectation is they could lose, you know, Veron they could lose McGuire, they could lose. And I say lose, but it it's more like get rid of, you know, on purpose. Um, to get rid of those, you know, those two, plus Johnny Evans probably won't be here. He's played too much. Considering his age, he shouldn't have to be playing this much. Uh, And, you know, Lindelof is on a short deal. So it's going to be a balance between this summer and next of how much they can get done without, you know, without abandoning other areas. Because part of the problem is, of course, you know, you take Branthwaite and Euro to amazing center backs. Well, getting both of them is going to cost the bulk of your budget uh, at this point in time, pretty much. And there's going to be a lot of competition. If you can sell well, that obviously helps. But, but that's kind of the idea. They, they want to have three very, very good center backs, like first team top quality level center backs in there. Uh, that's, that's the view. Uh, so there's a lot, you know, in terms of the, I, I think they, they're looking at they have two or three really good options for like a right footer and a left footer and a slightly different profiles. And they're kind of lined up and that's why I think, you know, sorting out the manager situation, sorting out the directors and getting that resolved by March, then they can really make the decision on who to go for. But I certainly Branthwaite is one that I've been told from some of the people in the football area, scouts and analysts, that there's a big, big focus on him. And I, I wouldn't, I, I get the idea. He's just one they think would be just perfect. And, and I think part of that is because, uh, you know, as well, the, the transition uh, that he plays in England already. And it's less, in, in it could be expensive, but in some ways it's less risky. At the same time, Everton have this horrible financial situation and they're pretty much going to have to sell. So I think that one's being evaluated as potentially the best option on the market, but there's going to be more, obviously, uh, given the names that they're going to be looking at for Another center back or another option in addition to that. I don't know how it's going to set out at the end of the day. I think that part is not going to be clear for another uh, another couple months. But they're being lined up in either in either case.
1: Who yeah. Is- th- oh, go ahead, Max. go ahead, Max. Oh, um, it was just interesting, interesting, like you said, three center backs. When like, I know there are, there's some like people who would like uh, Ruben Amorim, who's at Sporting, and he plays three center backs. And, I mean, that's just like an interesting thing to hear, to be honest.
2: Yeah, I, I think it is interesting. When I when I heard that too, I thought, all right. I mean, I could see a couple ways to look at it, but it definitely you know raises your uh, your eyebrows a little bit.
0: Bit of foreshadowing there, maybe. Um, but there, there also has been. I think it's interesting. You talk about the kind of the transition. I know a lot of things that have been coming out in terms of Ineos's transfer strategy. There's big. Um, you know, a big emphasis on British talent and domestic recruitment. Um, is that something that you see as as a real thing, or is that kind of just, you know, more, more fluff?
2: I, I think to some degree it is real, because one of the failures with United's recruitment, I remember looking at the most expensive uh, transfers, and I think uh, of all the ones that and this this could be for multiple reasons. To be clear, okay, I don't I'm not fixated on this in general, but they've failed mightily with big transfers from other leagues. For practically every big transfer from another league outside of Bruno Fernandez has been a failure, and uh, you know Orho has has not had the longevity that it should. And and it kind of makes sense in some respects. Like you look at the problem with with Eric Ten Hag and his recruitment; it's these players aren't ready for the Premier League. You know, the prices that are being paid, the costs that are going into it, the the, the strategies, a lot of it is just a bit of naivety with regards to the difficulty, the physicality, the speed of the Premier League. And there is something to be said for getting Prem proven players, people who have that talent. Now, I think there's there's a a balance where you want to get young players with high potential who don't necessarily have to start right away from other leagues. And I think that's something where someone like Paul Mitchell has a lot of experience and and others as well. I mean, crystal palace, Dougie Friedman, they've done it really well. Um, But sometimes when you need a plug and play player, should you be buying it from England? Probably. I mean, bringing in someone like Declan Rice would have solved a lot of problems uh, as opposed to a lot of the options that were being looked at. Um, So I, I think there's truth in that idea But I don't think people should look at it as like exclusively English or something like that. I'm not even sure the nationality matters. I think it's more to do with having the experience of the Premier League. If we need someone to come in and play, you know, right away as starter for that position, then, then it bears some weight.
1: Yeah. um, One of the, that's one of the things that kind of also excited me about like the links to Dan Ashworth, because I mean, his experience and his influence on, like, the English game over the past decade is kind of just, it's so crazy to put it as understated, but it kind of is. Because of just his dev- his role in development and how he was the head of the FA um, development line, how he made St. George's what it is now. It's just how much he's influenced the English team to the point where about only two players have never played under him and his influence. And that would have been Jordan Henderson, Carl Walker. And like, he's helped create the England DNA and to be able to like have him as a technical director or in any other like role would be like, would be an amazing thing because you'll be able to just get players just a little bit more comfortable and a little bit more at ease with like going there, going to United and just being like, I understand the philosophy. I understand what he's trying to do because this is what I've grown up with most of my life. And to a lot of people, like maybe if Dan Ashworth was here when the summer was that's just gone by maybe we would have had rice i wish we had we signed rice I, he, he would have been amazing but to be able to like have dan ashworth in in our structure would just be a great way of capitalizing on that now obviously i, I don't think it's been confirmed or anything but like just to have the idea that okay we're going to try and get someone who understands the english game and is actually help mold it and understand like what it means to be an English player is just like it's a really great um, progression from like obviously the past ownership and stuff,
0: yeah, I guess that's a good segue into the the technical director and just kind of to finish up here james if you had if you had to put your money on one person or I guess maybe they're talking about two people, but yeah one one uh would you put your money on on ashworth and and uh Paul mitchell being the guys going forward? I
2: think that's what they want. I, I do. I, I think what they want is Ashworth and Mitchell in that kind of role. I, I really do. I think that that kind of one, two punch combination is uh is something they feel is necessary for a club of this size. And I, I would have to agree in general. I think it's part of it is like, there's, there's so much, I mean, you have the Academy of the women's team. You have, you have a lot that goes into a club of this size and, and doing it. And the recruitment, needs its own thing. Um, and that aligns together and I don't think it's problematic. It's, it's, it's going to be challenging to structure it all properly, but I would say that the goal is Ashworth and Mitchell. And in the meantime, everybody has to play a little bit coy. Even people I talk to, I understand why, um, I, from what I hear it, it it's, The plan for it is being laid out now. I think there are multiple options. And what I was told just earlier this week, I think was that with regards to like Paul Mitchell, for example, is that um, in a couple of weeks, we're supposed to know. He's got offers from Roma and other places, but he's aware and knows and has spoken to Jim Ratcliffe before about this role. And so as soon as they kind of get in there and they can start making actual say job offers basically or contacting clubs in the case of ashworth to talk about you know if they want to bring him in and what it would cost and things like that uh then it'll get more clear um but i i think that's the aim ashworth and mitchell i do think is the aim uh, i think it's the most likely thing as of now but you know the plants change on on this um sometimes out of your control but but that's what I would say. If, if I had to put money on it, I would say they want to make a big impact and that would be how, and I think they know that and I think they're willing to do what it takes to, to accomplish it.
0: Mm, interesting. I mean, that would be definitely, I think mine and a lot of people's, you know, ideal one-two punch, two-headed snake that would, in in, in combination with Brailsford and Sir Jim and and everything. I think, you know, it's looking... I'm more optimistic than I have been in a while about United just about from the footballing perspective um and and the people who are in charge and I think a lot of United fans are as well. Um does anyone have, you know, any final thoughts? San? Max any? Um
3: any final thoughts? No, not really. I think we've covered most parts of what Iniesta are going to do. Uh, The thing with Ashworth is uh, I'm feeling slightly more optimistic after all the stuff has come out in the press about, you know, the Saudis and Newcastle, what situation they're in. I think it's looking sort of more optimistic. Are we going to – I just want to throw it to James. uh, Are we planning to pay release clause for him or, or what are we planning to do if we are to
2: sort of get him? I think if he is willing to leave and join, they'll pay him, Yeah. I think they will be absolutely willing to spend that money so long as he is willing to. And, and yeah, I mean the, the situation in Newcastle and some of the politics that go into it probably doesn't leave him totally comfortable. I would imagine right now. Um, and he knows, you know, obviously he knows uh, Dave Brailsford well too, personally, if he's willing to join, they'll pay what it takes. That, that I, that I'm pretty sure of
1: let's yeah. stick it to the Saudis.
2: Max, you
3: got any more questions or anything?
1: Um, no, nah, I think I'm, I think I've covered most of my bases. To be honest, um, I mean, if okay, maybe I can throw this one to James. I know there's not like a lot about the managerial stuff, but is if there were like names that were like highly touted for <laughs> uh, the job, if Eric Tanag is not safe by March. What would they be
2: yeah i it's this it's a good question and it's one that I talking about before it's got me in trouble, but it's okay i i can I can kind of answer it <laughs> um i mean here's the funny part, okay, and some people may find this funny, and some people will will be some people will hate it and some people will not, but you know the links to Graham Potter are not untrue you know the, it's not somebody that uh it, it is he is someone that they have considered that they have spoken with. But he is just a name on a list, okay, of managers that they think is uh, very shrewd tactically. And I've mentioned this before because I just want people to get this concept of the manager. This is not a sales pitch for Graham Potter; he would not be my choice. But in this respect, some things make a little more sense. Their concept of a manager is not. This this like powerful figure like we we've seen in the past that I think people are used to that United tend to hire the Jose Mourinho's obviously Sir Alex Louis Van what Ten Hag wants to be that's not their concept of, of a manager at all it's 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 much more if you look at how they set things up at Nice it's much similar more similar to that where the directors and such are the real power at the club you have people like Blanc Brailsford. And Jim Ratcliffe are going to be way more forward facing, way more involved. And if you're bringing in people like, you know, Ashworth and and Paul Mitchell, they're also going to be fairly forward facing. The manager's a coach; it's just a coach. They're a tactics guy. You look at Eddie Howe. You know, I mean, his biggest job was Bournemouth before that. I think he did obviously did a great job with them. But he's done a, he's done at in a certain respects a really good job for Newcastle not a ton of focus on how he is as a person and, you know, big personality and all of that. So when you're thinking with managers, the personality is going to be less of a factor that, that aura, whatever you'd want to call it, it's going to be less of a factor in the consideration as far as I've heard it. So you could think with other people, you could think with Potter, you could think with Ruben Amarin because he is a, an option. Um, and you could think with other names. There's, there's admiration for, um, I don't think I'm going to pronounce his name correctly, but he's the coach at, at Girona right now uh, in Spain. And obviously he's a part of city group. So that's a little bit challenging, but there's a lot of admiration going around for him at the moment. Michelle, is that how you pronounce it? Um, I might it's have Michelle. It's Michelle. It is Michelle. Okay. Okay. So it's just Michelle. So there's a lot of admiration for him, but there's other names being evaluated and looked at too. And so I, I, I wouldn't, I don't think, I think that, List of names will come more clear again as well once the directors brought in because they're going to have their ideas. And that's who Ineos intend to let the decision go to. So even if, say, you know, Jim Ratcliffe and, and Dave Brelsford, they really like Grant Potter. They do. They like him as a person. Um, they talked to him about the job at Nice. He didn't accept it. But they're not necessarily the ones making the decision. You know, they want to appoint the directors and they want them to be the ones with the most influence. So there's a lot of names still under consideration, but I wouldn't ignore it. Um, They've looked at Kieran McKenna, you know, as, as someone to say, is he ready or not? And so there's, there's, I I really wouldn't rule anything out at this point. There's still a lot under consideration there. And um, you know, uh, some of it's going to depend how this, how the season goes, but I think they want to bring in a younger, newer idea type of coach, Person, you know, rather than one of these big personality managers.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, that makes sense. When you're talking about, like, the structure around the, the club and how they want it to operate, that will make sense. I will say, this isn't like someone that I've just started looking into. Him. Uh, this is mainly due to age. Um, Russell Martin, um, he's the coach at, um, oh, I'm forgetting the name. He's in a championship. It's uh, Southampton. Southampton. Sorry. Southampton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And well, I just watched Southampton because of Samuel Odozier. and uh, if you don't know, that is a Nigerian. And if you know anything about my Twitter, I'm a very biased Nigerian. <laughs> and um,
0: <laughs>
2: love it.
1: And like, I just like his. I like him in terms of just like his story. He's only 38 years old, and uh, I've had this weird thing ever since I think when Mourinho um, got sacked. Where I was just like, if we're ever going to get uh, successful, we're going to do it under a Scottish manager. And I, he fits that <laughs> bill. So that's you UH, age, I guess.
2: <laughs> I love it.
0: <laughs> I know. I know Hassan still has the biggest smile on his face when you mention McKenna. This oh guy's God. Biggest, <laughs> this oh guy. my yeah, God.
2: I love McKenna too. But I, <laughs> yeah. I I learned a lot about McKenna when he was at United from some of the things I heard behind the scenes. Is he ready? I don't know, but he's a really, really uh, astute guy, and and I think he mm-hmm. will have a big future.
3: Yeah, the football he's got if playing, especially with well, when they got promoted from League One, they didn't really recruit a lot. And he sort of kept kept the same same pressure, same intensity, same same style of football up in the championship and he's sitting second. So yeah, my my admiration for McKenna it comes from when he was at United and what Mourinho said about him and what Carrick said about him. It's just he's very admired by in house People at United, they've got a lot of good words to say about him, and yeah, James did say something regarding Ineos wanting a young manager uh, just to bring in British talent, bring in sort of homegrown talent, and develop players in a modern approach. Yeah,
0: mm. interesting. Well. There's no shortage of, um, you know, things that NEOs have to do. There's a lot, a lot to be done at Manchester United, and they certainly have a big job on their hands. But it seems like things are going in the the right direction, and the, and the mindset and the philosophies are all, you know, just correct and just make a lot more sense. You know, it's not hard to make more sense than the Glazers, but it certainly seems like things are going in in a better direction. James, we really, really appreciate you ha- uh, coming on. Um, yeah. I'm sure people know where to where to find you but just in case make sure you uh just plug your podcast youtube twitter obviously all that stuff
2: yeah muppeteers just muppeteers on twitter and you can find all the links through there the regular videos that i try to do and join the discord and things like that if you want it's a it's a crazy place and it's a good community to to follow but uh, i really appreciate you guys having me on it's been it's been fun when i go on these things people tell me 30 minutes and I can't, <laughs> uh, I can't I talk way too much and no no, uh, no. I, I think people appreciate it but I never stopped talking so it, it's all right but,
0: uh, no it was good great. I didn't even notice that we were at you know 55 minutes yeah it was, <laughs> yeah, it was great bro good conversation good uh got into a good appreciate flow it. uh Max Hassan anything any final thoughts
3: no uh thanks for joining us James uh, really appreciate to get you on here and hopefully get you more in the future Especially when there's more to talk about of the football side because there's not really much to talk about about the football <laughs> yet. It's just everything off the pitch is what drives the conversation regarding United right now. Nothing really on the pitch to talk about. Every yep. week it's just the same.
2: Yep, happy to join anytime. You always keep in touch.
0: Max, good debut. Appreciate you coming on. No
1: problem. Anytime.
0: What's the next, what's the next thread? I saw you release one this morning.
1: Yeah, that one was about Lucas Bergvall. Um, he... Interestingly enough, he's trialled at United before, um, and he's currently linked to Barca. That might be something that comes up. Who knows? Um, currently, keeping my eye on the Senegal Cameroon game. Cameroon has lost, um, so that's nice. Um, Early
3: return for Onana.
1: <laughs> yeah, Onana's probably gonna come back. He they're currently like they're third in the group right now with Gambia still to play. So. He might be back by the end of the week.
3: No stop for being there then.
2: <laughs> the worst job in football is a back. I kind of feel bad. United.
0: I'm, not, I'm not sure if he's a real I'm not yeah. sure if he's real, to be honest. I, I have no idea if he's a real person or not. Um yeah, we, Poor we, we guy. can it's crazy. So uh, we can sit on here for hours, clearly, but um, yeah. we'll we'll uh, we'll wrap it up here and really appreciate you guys tuning in. And we'll see you on the next one. Peace. Thanks. See you later.
1: See, See ya.